I want to uh, I want to talk about something. It's a it's truly an, an incredible landmark that has occurred today. This is in the all-time history of the garden, the most people we've ever had here for announcements in the history. So much so, I'm presenting to the session here a proposal that we have time change every Sunday morning <laughs> for an hour, because otherwise it'll never happen again. But for at least five months, you'll all be on time, right? Okay, good. Uh, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here for The Garden. I'm excited about what we're going to share today. Um, we're calling this message The Walking Dead. <clears throat> and uh, it's a look at what we need to survive in the spiritual zombie apocalypse. And as you notice on that picture, um, there's a fence between The Walking Dead and The Living. And that's kind of a picture of what we're going to be talking about today. <clears throat> as we look at this story of this Syrian general named Naaman. Now, these are some pretty gruesome pictures here, I know, of zombies with their skin falling off and decaying, and it's pretty nasty. But it's sort of the picture of leprosy that I want you to have in your mind as I tell you this story. I put this up there for a visual so you can understand what leprosy would begin to do to a person in those days. Some of you maybe have seen that movie, The Kingdom of Heaven. It's a great movie, and there was a king, um, and he had his mask, and he was a great king, but he had a mask on, he's hiding his face, because he had this leprosy problem, and it was very disfiguring. <laughs> Keep that in your mind. Think about The Walking Dead and all that kind of stuff when we talk about leprosy. Let's talk about this story about Naaman, the leper-slash-general, and Elisha, who is the prophet of God, who, by the way, a prophet of God represents the word of God. So the prophet is not the one who is authoritative. Do you understand that? Whenever we look at the scripture and we talk about prophets in the Old Testament, it's not about people who tell the future. That's not necessarily what prophecy was about. It's not about people who have this special talent. It's about these people that God is using to declare his will, his word. So keep that in mind. So let's talk about the story. Naaman, <clears throat> the guy in this story in 2 Kings chapter 5, 1 through 19, is a very popular and powerful commander of the strongest army in the world at the time. As a matter of fact, the scripture teaches us that the Lord was the one who had chosen to give him, chosen to give him all the great success he had as a leader and as a soldier. So for some reason, God had picked out this Gentile general and lifted him up and made him to be successful, but God had also afflicted him with a helpless condition. He was a leper. And it's a medical condition that would slowly eat away at your body and your life, and at the time, there was no hope of cure, and the end result was always death. In effect you were like part of the walking dead. And that is the condition that Naaman, this incredible Syrian general leader, is in. A leader that God had given a lot of success to. And then there's this 
girl who's part of the nation of Israel. She's a captured girl of the covenant. And we've talked a lot about the covenant the last eight or nine weeks, right? About how God has a covenant with his people. And the covenant is not just with Israel. It's with Israel and Gentiles, all of those whom God has loved before the foundation of the world. We've talked about that, right? And so this girl is a part of that covenant. She happens to be Jewish. And she goes to Naaman. She's a servant girl. She was captured in a, in a, in a battle. And she goes to Naaman. And she says, listen, you ought to go to see the prophet Elijah. You ought to turn to the word of God because the word of God can tell you what to do to be cleansed. And Naaman, at this point, he understands, well, you know, I don't really have any other choice. What do I have to lose? There's no doctors that can help me. My king, the Syrian king, can't help me. Maybe this girl, this little servant girl, this Jew, this girl of the covenant is right. So Naaman goes to his king, and he asks for permission from his king to go see Elijah. And so he gets permission, and the king sends Naaman to the king of Israel with a letter saying, I'm sending you my general Naaman to you. Heal him. Now, imagine you're the Israeli king. You get this letter. And at the time, remember, there's something going on with the nation of Israel. The kings are not really following Jesus. They're not following God. They're not necessarily walking with God. They're not even necessarily blessed by God. And so this king is distressed because he doesn't have any faith. And he takes the burden on himself. And he thinks the Syrian king is sending him this guy. This, he knows there's no cure for leprosy. And he thinks the Syrian king is trying to pick a fight with him. What am I supposed to do? This is ridiculous. He knows there's no cure for leprosy. And he sends this guy to me, this general who's been kicking everybody's can for years. And he says, I got to heal him. And what if I'm not able to? He's going to come. He's going to swoop in and he's going to snuff out my kingdom. And I'm done. And Elijah hears about this little thing. And he confronts the king. He says, what are you? Are you some sort of faithless imbecile? Let me see Naaman. So Naaman goes to Elijah's house, and he goes with all the symbols of earthly power. He shows up at Elijah's house with his horses and his chariots and his soldiers and all his weapons, and he comes up with this, you know, this very strong, powerful Syrian army right to, to Elijah's house, knocks on the door, but yet with all that power, you understand that Naaman is powerless? And with all that power, he comes to the door of the prophet of God. And Elijah opens the door and says, here's what you're going to do, Naaman. You're going to go down to the Jordan River. You're going to dip yourself into it seven times, and you will be cleansed. And Naaman has some doubt, and he's kind of angry, you know, and he says, the rivers in my home nation are much clearer, much cleaner than this runoff ditch you call the Jordan River. And you want me to believe that going into this dirty, filthy Jordan River and dipping myself seven times, that's going to clean me? That's ridiculous. And he turns with his army and leaves. And then all the other servants who were also happened to be captured people who were part of God's covenant family, including with the servant girl, they continue to go to Naaman because they believe in the word of God and they say listen we're telling you Naaman this is the prophet of God this guy knows what he's talking about he knows he's speaking the word of Jehovah you really ought to at least try it 
What else do you have to lose? So they convince him. But they're not convincing him to trust in the river. The river really has nothing to do with this. What they're saying is, trust the words of Elijah. Translation, trust the word of God. God has told you how you can be cleansed. Just trust it. So this young girl and her fellow servants, which is a picture, by the way, of the church, this young girl and the fellow servants who convince him to trust the word of God, this is a picture of God's covenant people, God's church, a picture of us. They convince him, and he goes, and he is healed. Now, this is an example of part of the covenant with Abraham that said, you will bless all nations. This is an example of the covenant children blessing the nation of Syria, of all people, and this general Naaman with the word of God saying, be cleansed and be healed. And so let's look at how it ends here in this story. So Naaman is incredibly blessed. He's like, I can't believe I'm clean. I go down to the Jordan River and I'm cleansed and, and my skin is as white as snow and all the leprosy is gone. I'm healed. And Naaman says, please let me there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth because I want to take the ground from where we are right now because I want to take it back with me because your servant will never offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any other god but the Lord. Why is this significant? Because Naaman is saying, I am no longer going to sacrifice to the gods of my king. I am now a believer. I am a Christian. I believe in the cleansing of God. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And Elijah says, go in peace. What was interesting, though, is right before that, he tries to pay back Elijah. Will you take all these gifts? And Elijah says, I'm not taking any gifts. It has nothing to do with me. It's the word of God. So Naaman believes, he is cleansed, and he says, I will no longer offer burnt offerings to any other God but the Lord. So what God does, just to make sure you understand before we get into the meat of the message, what God does is he takes this Gentile general, uses his covenant children to convince him to believe and trust in the word of God, and this Gentile general believes and trusts, and he is cleansed. You might say, Pastor Joe, why aren't you saying the word healed? We'll get to that in a few minutes. But let's look at what leprosy is. <clears throat> leprosy is a picture of sin. It's, it's a very good picture of sin, actually. The first thing is one blemish, and you're tainted. Do you understand when it comes to sin, just the slightest hint of sin condemns you to death? without the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. As a matter of fact, we, we've referenced it a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus said was, you've heard that you not, shall not commit adultery, but I say if you even think about lust in your heart, you've committed it. You have heard it said you shall not commit murder, but I say if you even say in your heart you hate your brother, you've committed murder. So Jesus makes it very clear what the standard is for perfection. If you have one bit of leprosy in the old world, you were cut off, you were quarantined because you were tainted. Sin is the same way. Just one, just one thought, just one action, 
Just one wrong step. And it's like one drop of sewage in a gallon of spring water. Tainted forever. And you don't want to drink it. The next thing is, the leper was quarantined from society. He was considered unclean. Sin causes us to be unclean and separated from God. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 through 3, I'm going to read this verse to you. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with sin. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. So just like leprosy would cause you to be quarantined from society, like I showed you in that first picture where it was that fence between the zombies and Rick in that show that I would never watch, <laughs> our sin causes us to be separated from God. The next thing that makes sin like leprosy is that it is no respecter of persons. <clears throat> Regardless of one's position, honor, or wealth, leprosy doesn't care. He was a general. He was the most powerful general in the world. He was a respected leader. But leprosy didn't care. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how good of a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a non-denominational worshiper, it doesn't matter. No matter how good you think you are, you have been tainted by your sin. The scripture teaches us all have sinned. The scripture says there is none that seek him, no, not one. All have turned aside to go their own way. All of us are tainted. Sin does not respect persons. Another way leprosy is like sin is there's no cure without a, 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 a miracle. In biblical times, leprosy could not be cured. Now, there's a cure today, but it takes six to eight months. It's pretty a long process. But sin also cannot be cleansed without a miracle. And so in respect, as you can look at all this, you see that leprosy, just like sin, makes you the walking dead. And I love this passage. We've read it so many times. I'm just going to read it to you. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 explains exactly what I'm trying to paint for you here. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, according to to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by our very nature children of wrath, just like the rest of all of mankind. So we understand that leprosy is a great picture of sin. So let's transition here just a little bit now. <clears throat> I want to transition to the word cleansed. Look at the story of Jesus when he interacts with this leper. And when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Notice in both stories, leprosy isn't healed it's cleansed. You notice that. Both stories, name it and here. The word healing is not used. Cleansing is. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof 
to them. And so by the way, FYI, just to make sure that you understand, that gift that Moses was talking about is covered in Leviticus 1.4. The gift of Moses is an unblemished, spotless lamb for sacrifice. How do you like that? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or cleansing. That was the gift that Moses commanded. So that's what we see in, in Matthew. So we're going to look at this now. The cure is not healing, but cleansing. You notice that Naaman says at the end, I'm no longer going to offer sacrifices to any other gods but the Lord Jehovah. So you can begin to see that the connection between leprosy and sin and cleansing and the blood of the Lamb are clearly tied together all throughout Scripture. These are just one or two examples, but there's a lot more of it. Okay, leprosy was cleansed, and it was always cleansed miraculously by the Word of God. So you understand, guys, as we go forward with this, that before Christ, you were a spiritual leper, right? You understand that. I mean, that's the point that I've been trying to paint for you. You were on the other side of that fence from Rick. You were part of the walking dead. You were part of the zombie nation, spiritually. You were walking dead, quarantined from the family of God, with no hope until the Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus, by the gift of faith, cleansed you from the disease that left you a spiritual leper zombie, part of the walking dead. Leviticus 1.4 talks about this, about the cleansing of the blood. And in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then there's a very powerful image that i'm going to give you today leprosy is a very grotesque gruesome image but you know what else is very grotesque and gruesome gruesome the cost of cleansing read this passage in zechariah a fountain will be opened to the house of david and the inhabitants of jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity What is that fountain that Zechariah is talking about, this prophet of God? What is that fountain? You know, today, just like Naaman, some of you need cleansing and you know it. You know it. You're here and you know you're dirty. You know you are separated from God. You know because God is enlightening you right now as we speak that you are part of the spiritual zombie nation, you are part of the walking dead. Some of you have been cleansed already, but you act as though you are still separated. And that is just as puzzling as people who don't recognize their sin. It's those who recognize it and know that God has cleansed them, but they still act like they're separated from God. And they don't claim the victory of the promise of knowing that I'm a child of the covenant, I'm a child of God, I believed and trusted in the word and the blood of the lamb which cleansed me, but I'm still going to act like God is afar off. I'm calling both groups of people out today to either receive and or believe in the cleansing 
of the blood of Jesus. Because guys, here's the way it looks, right? Your spiritual skin was corrupt, it was rotting, it was contagious, until the blood of Jesus washed you white as snow. You know, there's a lot of hymns. <clears throat> there's this perception that because hymns are old that they're always great. Some hymns have terrible theology. I mean, they really do. They're awful. Just like a lot of worship courses have terrible theology. This one is written right out of Zechariah 13.1. It's one of the most amazing hymns, but it's very graphic. Very graphic. You ready? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Do you understand what this hymn is saying? It is singing about Zechariah 13.1. What is that fountain? that Zechariah prophesied that said that the, the, the children of God will be cleansed from their sin and impurities. What is that fountain? It is Jesus. Emmanuel. You know what the word Emmanuel means? God with us. Are you needing cleansing? Throw yourself today in the fountain of blood filled from Emmanuel's veins. Because that is where your sin is washed white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Or maybe you're one of those here that you understand cleansing and you've received it. But for whatever reason, whether it's shameless guilt or whatever, you're not living like you've been cleansed. You're not living like that fence that separated you from God has been torn down because you're no longer contagious. You're no longer tainted. You're no longer contaminated by the leprosy of your sin. And God says, you're not separated from me anymore because the fountain of blood has cleansed you.